Okay, so I'm in a restaurant a little while back, and there's a couple in the next booth, and I mean, they are all over uh, each other. You, you've been there, seen them. <laughs> you know, you're trying to ignore it, but I mean, the sounds, and you're going, oh my goodness, you'll get a room, right? And it's just kind of embarrassing, and, uh, but there's a party that goes, you know, man, to have that much fire again and all that stuff. And how, many, how many people were that couple when you were dating? You were embarrassing the rest of them. Oh, thank you. Good. Okay, thanks for being honest about it. Um, you know, here's the interesting part. How often do you watch a couple go from there, uh, go from a place where they just can't, they can't be away from each other, they, they, they have to call each other all the time on the phone? What are you doing now? I'm breathing. Oh, that's so wonderful. I'm breathing too, you know? you know, and they go from that just incredible need to connect and, and, and to be together and to be around each other and just all of that to they're the ones getting the most violent divorce. You know, you go, how did that, how did that pendulum swing? How did, how did they go from this? I mean, there was so much energy, there was so much fuel, there was so much fire within that relationship and, and now they're the ones that are running as fast as they can to divorce. How did that happen? And, and what was it? You know, I mean, if you and I could learn from the moment, say, what is it that turned that relationship and got it going in the wrong direction? And is there a way to get it back to that place that has a little bit of fury and a little bit of fire and a little bit of heat in the deal? And we're actually going to uh, finish up today looking at a passage in which I think Jesus actually addresses uh, this question a little bit for us. So grab your Bibles this morning and uh, go with me to the book of Matthew. It's actually a passage that many of you will probably be familiar with, and probably in the times that you've read it and looked at it, never had the impression that it's in some ways dealing with this very issue, this very topic that you and I are going to talk about, and that is, how do you have fire? How do you have passion? How do you have burn uh, within your relationship? And what is it that causes us to get off track on that and to lose that within our relationships so often? It's Matthew chapter 19, and believe it or not, Jesus is actually having a discussion about divorce. He's talking about what it means when you get to the other end of this. It's Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. If you're not real familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible, work to the left. Matthew is the first book of what we call the New Testament. Matthew chapter 19. Here's the discussion uh, that goes on between Jesus and a group of religious leaders uh, called Pharisees. And here's the thing I think is interesting. You know, you and I think of Pharisees as being hypocrites and, and uh, two-faced type of people. But you realize that's kind of where we've come to. That reality is, is that as Jesus is discussing with these guys... They are the most dedicated uh, God followers of their day. They have memorized scripture uh, at a level that would make most of us embarrassed. Uh, they follow their faith with just an absolute fervor. They, they are worried about the details. And it's interesting that these men, these men somehow within their relationships with their wives have gotten to the point where they're saying, okay, so Jesus described the back door. How do you get out of a bad marriage? So stop and think about the moment. The most religious, the most fervent God followers of the day are looking for the back door within their relationships. So here it is. It's Matthew uh, chapter 19, uh, verse 3. Here's what it says. Some of the Pharisees came to him, speaking of Jesus, to test him. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? In other words, they're saying, you get it, Jesus. So what qualifies as grounds for divorce. What is it that someone has to do? I mean, if she burns dinner two, three times, I mean, does that qualify? Uh, you know, uh, if she puts on like 80 pounds, does that, what qualifies in this thing for divorce? What is that? What, what is it that, uh, that 
you're no longer obligated. Things have changed enough. Things are different enough than you had hoped and expected. What is it? What's the back door looks like? And you get that they're asking Jesus for a list. Would you give us a list? And they're hoping that there's this Mack truck-sized hole at the back of marriage that they can drive out of. It's an interesting question. Jesus responds, Haven't you read... He replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and he said, for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so that you are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples overhearing this conversation, kind of listening in, said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to get married in the first place. Isn't that interesting? You ever listened in on a conversation between two people and felt like they were talking to each other, but neither of them was saying anything to each other? I mean, that, that somehow they were on completely different wavelengths and answering questions that weren't being asked and asking questions that weren't being... And, and you kind of get that sense here. You know, they say to Jesus, Jesus, what's the back door look like? And Jesus says, you know, for this cause shall a man leave his mother and his father... You go, wow. In reality, in reality, Jesus answers. And what he really says to these men in the moment, they say, hey, Jesus, describe to us the back door within a relationship. How do you get out? And Jesus basically says, wrong question. Wrong question. You get that, that that's not what you ought to be asking me. You ought to be asking me how to have a great marriage. You ought to be asking me what God intended. And Jesus goes on to describe it. He says, you realize God, God intended that a man and a woman would be absolutely committed to the idea of becoming one together. Better that you ask me how that works than how to get out. And Jesus really says, has your marriage really, has this relationship gone so far? Has it disintegrated so badly that really the only option left is the back door? Jesus says, really bad question. There's better questions. You know, how does that happen? How, how do you get two people who are deeply, desperately in love to be looking for the back door? Where, where does that fire and that thrill go? And here you go. When you and I start relationship, when you and I begin dating and courting, that relationship is full of hope. See, in that moment, there's all sorts of things that we're saying, are you the one? Are you that person I've been waiting for? And, and, and are you the one that's going to fill my heart and, and be and do and all those things that, that I've been longing for ever since I was young? And are, in that relationship, we are consumed with hope. And you need to know that within this, with this box is fire. There is energy inside of this box. And, and hope looks something like, hey, there's, there, there's a house that, that I, was, I was always, you know, that's, that's what I was thinking. And could we do that together? See, that's what I'm hoping for us. 
And, and we have all sorts of ideas about time. You know, you're going to come home every night, and all you're going to do is sit on the couch and talk to me about how my day went, and that's where we spend our time. He's hoping that she'll clean the house, and <laughs> she's hoping that he'll fix everything like her dad did. There's all sorts of hope about, you know, where we're going to spend holidays, kind of like uh, never with your relatives, and, uh, <laughs> you know, how we're going to take care and raise kids and money. And then, and then there's every man's hope. of what his wife will not wear to bed. <laughs> She's hoping it doesn't matter. And here's, here's what I get, here's what I get. This box, this box of hope is full of electricity. It is full of fire. It, it is what kindles and burns and ignites and motivates and pushes our relationship forward. And then something happens. We begin to move boxes. And we begin to take everything that was in our hope box and transfer it. I, I, I don't know when this happens. The truth is, if I was even to come to you within your relationship, and you might even say, hey, my relationship's in a really, really tough spot, and, and I say to you, it's because you've transferred. When did you do that? You'd probably say, I don't know. But somewhere between when she walked down the aisle and said, I do, when he stood here and said, I will, and as we moved on in life, we began to transfer boxes. And we began to take hope, what we were hoping we would be together and do together and accomplish. And we made it expectation. We began to say, no, 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 no. That's what you're supposed to do because you're the guy. And that's what guys do in relationships. So you are, you ready? Obligated to do that. That's, that's part of the agreement that we made. And, and anyone who was really good and try, that that's what you would do. I, that's what it's only reasonable to expect from you. He comes home at night and he says, how come that house is a mess? That's a, you ready? Reasonable expectation of any husband of his wife. She begins to say, hey, we did holidays with your family last year. It's my turn. It's what I expect. And we begin to transfer hope to expectation and here's what you need to know this box is death this box is hurt this box is the quickest way to take intimacy and passion and motivation out of your relationship when you begin to transfer see here's here's the problem you don't get any credit when you fulfill expectations. See, when, when, when our relationship becomes about what I expect you to do and then what you have the right to expect me to do in return, you and I then begin in our marriages to get you ready to enter into a debt-debtor relationship. In other words, as long as you fulfill what you're supposed to do, then I'm more than happy to fulfill my role and what I'm supposed to do. And the reality is, we suddenly turn to marriage. You ready? into a contract. And as long as you perform the way that I expect you to perform within the contract that we share each other, then I'm more than happy to be the wife that you want me to be. And as long as you do what I expect any wife to do, 
I'm happy to be the husband you want me to be because we're in contract together. And this thing is dependent upon your performance of my expectations. You realize the moment we move there, no one gets credit for anything they do right. I mean, I mean if, if he comes home on time, who cares that he came on time? That's, that's what a husband is supposed to do. That's what's expected. That's, that's part of what you were obligated to do. The only time you're going to hear from me is when you don't live up to my expectations. Think about this. Think about this. How many of you guys got mortgages on your home? Okay. How many wish you didn't? No. All right. You send in every single month a check to your mortgage company, hopefully. Okay. And in the process of doing that, um, they gladly receive your check, and they call you every month with thankfulness, right? They call you up and say, you are such an amazing, we are so surprised, and we are so grateful that you mailed your mortgage payment this month. Is there anything we could do to you or for you to express our thankfulness to you? Anybody ever gotten that call from Countrywide Mortgage? No, 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 no. You know why? You know why you didn't? Because all you did when you mailed in that mortgage check was fulfill the contract. All you did in that moment was meet expectation. And when you meet expectation, there isn't any thankfulness. And when you allow your hope in the relationship to become contractual, I will do what I will do if you do what you will do, and it becomes expectation, then every time he gets it right, every time she fulfills, who cares? All you did was meet the minimum requirements of the contract. But boy, don't fulfill the contract. As we were building this building about a year ago, you don't want to know how many discussions we had with architects and builders as we went along and the contract wasn't being fulfilled. Hey, you're late. And if you're not going to deliver on time, if you're not going to do it on time, then guess what? We're not going to pay on time. Hey, whoa, 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 the quality is substandard. It's not what we agreed to. It's not what you said you would perform at. So guess what? We're not going to pay at. You realize that contractual relationships are automatically adversarial. Matter of fact, you want to get a little bit of attention from Countrywide Mortgage? Don't mail your check next month. You'll get a personal phone call, guaranteed. Is it any wonder that when we have allowed our relationships and marriage to become contractual, that it seems like the only time we verbalize with each other is to talk about breach of contract? You realize, think, guys, catch this. Divorce court is full of husbands and wives suing for breach of contract. See, the discussion goes something like this. She didn't. And she responds by saying, I did until you. And then he says, well, I did and I was willing, but then you no, -uh, you were first. No, you were first. Divorce court is about suing for breach of contract. And you realize, you realize, guys, that what Jesus just said to the Pharisees when they said, look, 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 so how bad does she breach the contract before I get to drive out the back door? Jesus says, wrong question. 
wrong question. Because it was never a contract. It was never a contract. was a covenant. It was a one-sided promise. When she walked down that aisle, she promised, you ready for this? I will be the wife you always hoped for despite your performance as a husband. Because this is a promise it is a covenant, and it's not conditional on how you perform. When he stood here, he was not making a contract. He was making a covenant, a one-sided promise to her in which he said, I am the man, I will be the man that you dreamed of from the time you were a little girl. And it's not based on your performance. It's based on my promise. Guys, do you, do you get how much of the marriage ceremony is actually covenant? It's not contract, it's covenant. You ever wonder why the bride walks down the center aisle? Where'd that come from? Because you know how you do a covenant? You take an animal and you slice it down the middle. And you lay one side of the animal on this side, and you lay one side of the animal on this side, and then the person making the covenant, the unconditional promise, walks between the two halves of the dead animal. Matter of fact, it was called the walk of death. Isn't that romantic? Here comes the bride doing the walk of death, you know. <laughs> Woo! That'll get you excited. Because you ready for this? It's a covenant. This was never a contract. It was a one-sided promise. I will be. I will be the woman you always hoped for. The wife your soul longed for. Despite performance. Unconditional of performance. We give rings. You ever wonder, why do you give rings? Can you imagine if you were doing a contract, two guys are doing a contract on a business, and they go, okay, okay, let's exchange rings now. <laughs> that would never happen, well, because it's a contract. You exchange rings in a covenant. Matter of fact, if you go back and explore covenants, a lot of times they would exchange robes. See, all of a sudden you'd see Jeff, and Jeff is walking around with Tom's robe on, and what everybody knew when they saw Jeff walking around with Tom's robe is, oh my goodness, Jeff must now be in covenant. And what, what Tom has just said by giving Jeff his robe is, your friends will be my friends, your enemies will be my enemies, I will stand with you no matter what, despite performance, because you and I are in covenant. Guess what else they exchanged? Rings. Rings. And when a bride and a groom stand at the front of the church and exchange rings, what they're saying is, I am in covenant with you. Your enemies will be my enemies. Your friends will be my friends. And I will fulfill you. He says to her, I will be the man you always dreamed of for a husband. Despite your performance. No matter how the bedroom turns out. No matter how many meals you burn. It doesn't matter. Because I have found someone that I love more than myself. 
and I am going to enter covenant with you. And today I'm giving you a promise that isn't dependent upon performance. So I'm giving you a ring as a symbol of my covenant with you. Now, guys, I, I get it. I get it. For some of us sitting here right now, you go, that, that's, that is absolutely terrifying. I mean, I mean, that's terrifying. To offer to our spouse unconditional love, an unconditional promise to be the husband they want despite her performance, despite his performance. You guys get that we do this for our children all the time, right? That you and I offer to our children covenant. That when that little child is born, we look in that little child's eyes and say, I will be your parent. Which means an awful lot of what I want and an awful lot of what I, my desires are all going to be number two from this day forward. Because you're going to have needs and you're going to have desires. And I'm just telling you because we're in covenant I'm going to place a lot of my needs on second place in order to be your parent. And this is not conditional. And some of us in this room have lived the heartache of kids who have gone off and done all sorts of stuff. Still my child. I'm Stop and think about this. When, when that child's first born, what have they done right? They've done an awful lot of things wrong. There, there's a lot of smells and things happening there that are just wrong. And we offer them unconditional love, never even once considering basing it on performance. Why would we not offer that to our spouse? Why is our spouse suddenly held to a contract and why is our love for them suddenly conditional? It's why Jesus in this moment says to the Pharisees, wrong question. You're asking me how to get out. Why not ask how to make it right? And what Jesus is basically going to answer is this. As long as your hopes and desires stay in this box, stay as expectations. As long as what we're saying to each other is, if you, then I, and if you don't, I won't. As long as you and I make marriage contractually, says, you will be disappointed, you will ache, your children will suffer, and the only answer to begin to move this back that says look no no I still have this hope this hope hasn't changed for me it's just no longer a condition of my love for you or a condition of how I treat you it, it, it's it's a hope again and I'm hoping we get that together but it's not determining how I respond to you because I am not in contract with you, I am in covenant with you. And the reality is this, I will be the husband you always hoped I would be, despite your performance, because it's a covenant and not a contract. I'll be the, the wife that you always longed for, without condition. Matter of fact, 
We've been talking this whole time. Remember, we, we've gone over and over and over and over and over again. Ephesians chapter 5. And Ephesians chapter 5 just basically says, submit to one another. Remember we said that's an interesting verse because later on it says, wives, submit to your husbands, show reverence. So we said, well, what does this mean? And we said, this portion, this part of scripture, when it says submit to one another means take your dreams, take your expectations, take this and be willing to make it number two in the relationship. That a husband says to the wife, look, what I need, what I hope, what I'm wanting in this relationship is going to be number two. And I'm going to spend a lifetime as your husband fulfilling your hopes. It's a wife who says to her husband, look, look, I'm going to enter a covenant with you. This isn't a contract. We're not going to sue for breach of promise. Because what I'm saying is my desires, my ex number two. And I, because I am in covenant with you, am making a promise today that I will make your, expect your hopes greater than mine. Because, because, because I have found somebody that I love more than me. Guys, how many times in marriage do we sit there in that moment and we go, oh, look, 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 I love him because he makes me happy. Boy, I want to be with her because she fills my heart. Did you hear what we just said to each other? I love him because he makes me happy. I want to be with her because she fills my heart. And if you and I are honest in that moment, isn't that just selfishness in a different wrapper? Jesus says, wrong question. It's not a contract, it's a covenant. It's a promise. It's a promise that you love them more than you love yourself, that you're willing to submit your hopes and desires to their hope and desire. And then Ephesians chapter 5, interesting phrase, goes on and says, submit to one another, and then, you ready? Out of reverence for Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. Isn't that an interesting way of saying that? Why would Scripture say it that way? Because your Savior already did what He just asked you to do. He already submitted His hopes his desires, his needs to yours. Think, 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 think. Does Jesus need a cross? Does Jesus need the cross? I mean, a cross is about paying for sin, setting the balance sheet for our wrongs back to right. It's about purchasing for you and I the opportunity to go to heaven. Jesus never did anything wrong. Jesus never sinned. Jesus was never out of fellowship with God. Does Jesus need the cross? No. I need the cross. You need the cross. And remember the story of Jesus is there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's doing that prayer, and Scripture says, and he's sweating sweat like drops of blood, and he's in that moment saying, hey, God, look, 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 look. If there's any other way to get people to heaven, if there's any other way to fix this other than nails and a cross, could we opt for plan B? I was thinking maybe like a road trip or something. Could we opt for plan B? I mean, that's exact in his humanness, you get it, in his humanness in the garden. That's what he's saying. He's saying, God, could we do this any other way? Because Jesus is saying, I don't need a cross. 
Matter of fact, in my humanity, I'm thinking I need to live a little longer. I think I need to breathe. And yet in that moment, what does Jesus do? Jesus looks and says, if I was choosing for me, I wouldn't do a cross. Nothing about a cross feels good to me. But I have found someone I love more than me, and they need a cross. So I will submit what I need to them. And here's what Scripture says. And if your Savior can do that for you, please, please, please tell me you can do that for your husband. Please, please, please tell me you can do that for your wife. See, Jesus in the moment says, wrong question. Don't ask me how big the back door is. Ask me how to fix this. And it's when I submit and I take my contract and I exchange it for a promise between a man and a woman that says this isn't based on performance, it's based on love. And we get back to the first box. The disciples hearing this were terrified. <laughs> the disciples go, ooh, if that's true, if the thing, this thing's not a contract, if she can burn dinner a dozen times and I can't get out of this, if, if the bedroom goes cold and I, and I can't, wow. And remember what the disciples say in the past? They say, well, then it's probably better not to get married. Why would you do that? Because here's what the disciples are realizing. If this is really a covenant relationship and not a contract, and I can't go to divorce court and sue my wife or sue my husband for breach of contract, if you're telling me the only way out of this is marital unfaithfulness, they're going, that door is really, really, really tiny. Because she's never going to cheat on me, and if I cheated on her, she'd kill me. So it really wouldn't be divorced, would it? And the disciples in that moment go, man, the back door of marriage is about that big. D did you know that God did that on purpose? He really did. He made the back door of marriage about that big. And that it's really a backwards blessing to you and me. Because here's what he knew. Here's what he knew if he left a hole in the back of marriage that you and I could drive a truck through. We'd drive the truck through it. Because if we were being honest today, if we were being, every one of us, every one of us has had a moment in our life where we thought, man, what am I doing in this relationship? It's early in the morning, you roll over, they breathe bad breath in your face, you're like, oh, what am I doing in this relationship? You get in one of those fights, you spend years disagreeing about it. We've all been there, right? We've all had the moment we thought, man. And Jesus knew if there was a back door on marriage big enough to drive a truck through, we'd drive a truck. You guys have all seen employees, right, who start interviewing for other jobs? You don't even have to ask them if they're interviewing. They already lose so much enthusiasm. They lose so much zeal. They lose every desire to keep going at their present job. You don't even have to ask, do you? Guess what happens in a marriage 
when a husband or a wife begins to interview other options. When, when you and I are suddenly saying, you know, I, I, wonder, I wonder what it would be like. I wonder if there's someone else. I wonder, I wonder if the kids would be better with the moment you begin to do that. You will lose all energy. You will lose all... And Jesus knew that. So he made the back door of marriage about that big as a blessing to the covenant because he knew in that moment you'd stop and say, wow, wrong question. The question isn't how I get out of here. The question is how do I fix it because I'm going to spend the next 30, 40 years with my spouse. How do I fix it? Here's what Jesus would say. You want to fix it? Rip up the contract. Let's pray. There are some of us who walked into this room this morning deeply discouraged, profoundly disappointed in our relationship. You know what I already know without asking? You've got a contract. And you've got a bunch of boxes, and they're checked. They're checked. And you're right. They didn't. They should have. They forgot. You got a whole bunch of paragraphs underlined. You've got a great case for breach of contract. And Jesus this morning would simply say, wrong question. Wrong question. It was never a contract. That's how you got to where you got. That's why it hurts, and that's why it disappoints, and that's why you're done. But it was never a contract. It was a promise. It was a promise to be the husband that she dreamed of from the time she was a little girl. No matter what she did it was a promise of a man to a woman that didn't depend on performance it was bigger than that it was a word given between a woman and her husband that said I'll be that wife I'll be the wife that your soul has longed for and it has nothing to do with the size of a paycheck or what time you make at home. Because I will not base my love and I will not give my oath as a contract. It's a promise. Because I have found someone that I love more than me. Dear Lord Jesus, 
Some of us are in this room this morning hurting and aching because we've been asking the wrong question. Jesus, how big is the back door? And how do I get out of this mess I've got myself in? And your answer is simple. Wrong question. It's not a contract. It's a covenant. It's a promise given without any condition. Get back to the covenant. God, that your children today would have courage to rip up some contracts, to simply renew their promise to you to be the husband, to be the wife they promised to be. Despite, despite their spouse. This we pray in Jesus' name.